Welcome back, my fellow friends, to another episode of Think Torah. This is Around the Shabbos Table. Around the Shabbos Table on Think Torah is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. You can go check them out on intentionaljew.com. Check out other shows and other podcasts. Uh, Some really great, thoughtful stuff there. I want to say thank you to you, to our listeners. You guys rock. And we've asked for some feedback and we got our feedback. And we're really, we're really happy to have that. Um, It energizes us to see and to know that we're getting that we're getting this feedback back from you. A few important ones about some of our previous episodes, the Icker Tuffle, the priorities um, issue that we spoke about, got some nice feedback. And um, this last VART sort of that was stuck in the middle of the, the last podcast, episode six. If you haven't heard it, you can go back and listen about Ain Kelo Kenu and then Mi Kelo Kenu and the, the structure of Ain to Me. Um, we got some, some nice feedback and some nice conversation around that as well. And just to reiterate here that the, the point and the reason why we call this around the Shabbos table is not that we're sitting at a Shabbos table, but we're giving you conversation and ammo, if you will, for your Shabbos table. We believe if you sit down and start and say, does anybody have questions? What's the proper, or you start off your Shabbos table with what's the proper approach to asking questions on God and asking questions on Judaism? And somebody says, oh, you should do it like this, or you should do it like that. And you say, oh, well, I, I heard of art and you can say it. It's a different way of presenting the VART, and it's a different, it could really change your Shabbos table when it's conversation, when your wife is involved, when your children are involved, if you're a child, if you're a teenager, when your parents are involved. People like to be involved in a VART and not be told a VART to or at. And that's what we're trying to accomplish here is give you the ammo that you need uh, to do that. So we would love if, if, if our listeners had any issues, any suggestions of things that they would love to hear discussed by us, what we discuss is not the definitive answer to anything. But it, right. this, is totally know, unscri- this is totally unscripted. To- completely unscripted. And it's, it's two Jews' opinion of an issue. And, uh, you know, and there, could be, there could be writer opinions. There, there could be wronger opinions. <laughs> there, there, it could, there, there could be better ways to answer or worse ways to answer, but this is our way of answering. And sometimes it's good to hear somebody else's perspective on something so that it helps you to continue to shape your own or to know what you want to stay away from um, and to know how to, to formulate an answer if somebody who you're engaged in a conversation with goes, takes it in that, in that direction. So we would really love ultimately to get this thing to a place where our listeners were interested enough to, you know, to, to, to share that with us. Say, well, why don't you speak about this issue? I'd love to hear something about that issue. And if those are issues that we feel that we can tackle, then we would, we would love to do that. So the technical side of that is that you can reach out to us. And if it's something more personal, reach out to us at intentionaljew at gmail.com. Easiest way, um, you'll reach both myself and Rabbi Wogelanther that way to be able to talk to us. We hope you deeply enjoy today's episode of Around the Shabbos Table. You know, I just want to bring up something 
um, Aaron, if, if I may, I just want to bring I want to bring up something that um, that that I think made a big impression on me as we finished the book of Bracious, Which, by the way, that in itself could be a, a podcast on itself. Look at how time is flying. It, it was it, it, we just started we just started Sefer Bracious. You know, granted, I mean, I've had you know a a, a bidud and uh, and and many grandchildren. In that space, <laughs> that's but a great point. At the end, at the end of the day, it's just it, it was just yesterday. You know, it just it just feels like it's mamish, like it's flying. Now conversations are going to change from talking about Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov and the Avos, and we're now going to be talking about Bnei Yisrael, and we're going to be talking about Geula, and we're going to be talking about Golis. I mean, just the, the whole the whole tone of conversation through the Pasha is going to change. And by the way, I think that that's why we say that the year, you know, when you look at your year. You remember certain events based on the Pasha or the time of year. Because the the, the the conversation of the year is very much directed by what's going on in the Pasha. And therefore the things that are on your mind are on your mind based on what the Pasha is. And and it's and, you know, you're looking for you're looking for connections between certain Pashos and Purim and certain Pashos and Pesach. Also, can you source I remember hearing that when I was younger that the the Pasha itself it even though the the splits of the parsha were not necessarily a tradition, a, a, a Jewish tradition, right? But yet we um, there's something to do with that parsha is mashpia and affects that week. It's like connected on a deep level. Is that sourced anywhere, yeah. or is it just that I'm, I'm I'm not familiar with the source, but I, I have heard it many many times. Right, definitely. I, I definitely the, feel I that way. You know, this week was a Yosef is. week. This week was a right. was a Yehuda week. You know, and you That's you right. feel that this week was an Avdus week. There's you know, there's certain mitos that we that, that we connect to again, and I think that on on a non mystical level, I think that it's because the conversation in the parshas that we if you if you're connected to the parsha, if you're learning the parsha, you go to you go to shul during the week and you hear the 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 beginning of the parsha, your head is already getting into it. If you have any connection to trying to prepare something in the parsha, right? You know, the, the deeper your connection to the parsha is, so then the deeper that effect is on you because these are the issues that are that they're open inside of you. This is what your your head is in. So I'll tell you where my head was a little bit this week. The um, now, although you're listening to this after we read Parshas Vayechi, um, this a, is the reason the reason why I'm not reluctant to bring this up, even though it is not really Parsha based in the sense that you know the, the, our podcasts are not Parsha based. But I'm not reluctant to bring this up because this brings up such an incredibly global issue that if you wanted to write a safer about this issue. As it relates to the Pasha, you can find the connection to every single Pasha to this issue. You know, there are people that wrote Sfarim like that. There are people that write, you know, on, on the, the love of Eretz Yisrael, and they'll find that in every single Pasha. Right. Um, it, pe- the people that write about Avas Yisrael, right? Yisrael, you write about Avas Yisrael, and you'll see that in every single Pasha. So, so, so I'll, I'll leave the issue really to the end, but it'll start to crystallize in a minute. Now, I'm going to do this as quickly as possible. But there's a there's an incredible thing that happens. He tells his kids and make sure I don't take brandy from He tells Yosef, I don't want to be married in Egypt. And that in itself, by the way, is its own podcast. Is is assimilation, and that that how do you what, why did Yaakov Avinu want to make sure that he wasn't buried in Mitzrayim? He wanted to make sure he wasn't buried in Mitzrayim, not so much because of himself, but he wanted to make sure that he wasn't buried in Mitzrayim because he knew that that would be devastating for his children because his children would get stuck there. Kavaravas was there. 
they would get stuck and they would tend to think that this is their primary place, not Eretz Yisrael. And he wanted the focus not to change. Now, I once heard a beautiful Misa. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get off track, but I once heard a beautiful Misa of a certain Gvir in America, a very wealthy person who had somebody working with him taking care of his money. And he told to the guy that he wants him to buy him a plot to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And he wants it on Harazesim. And he wants it with a view of the Temple Mount. So his money handler thought it was a little weird. You know, you, rooms with a view are only good in, uh, you know, in the middle of Modi'in. But a room with a view after you've died, that's not really going to help you much. But he did what he wanted him to do. He went he, he went to Harazesim. He found a plot, but he couldn't find a plot no longer with a view that of, of, uh, of the Temple Mount. So he got one around the side. No view. Went back to his uh, to his uh, boss and he said to him, you know, I, I got you the, the plot, but I just want you to know, I, I couldn't get the view also. So he got very upset with him. So he said to him, what are you upset about? You know, there's, you're not, you're not, you're not going to be sitting there, you know, sightseeing all day. Like, why, why do you need a view? He said, fool, the view wasn't for me. My kids aren't from. The view was for my children. Then when they come to my kever and they, they, stand, they stand there with me, when they turn around, I want them to see the Makam HaMikdash. Because maybe one day when they turn around, something will strike them as they look to the Makam HaMikdash and they'll remember who they are and it'll change their lives. I think that that was what Yaakov Avinu's, what Yaakov Avinu's thrust was. Granted, he didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim, but, but he could have gotten over that if there was a good reason for him to be buried in Mitzrayim. But instead, he wanted to make sure that he was buried in Eretz Yisrael, not only for himself, but because he was worried about his children. That wasn't my point, but it's a, that, that's a magnificent, it's just a magnificent idea. Then Yaakov Avinu says to Yosef, he says to him that, you know, he tells him, he tells him a little story before he's going to give a bracha to his kids. And he, tell, he says that, um, right when I came from, from Badan Aram, and, you know, your mom died, and I buried her on the road, and I didn't bury her in Maras Machpela. And how do Kimat, all, all the commentaries, explain that? That he was saying to Yaakov, saying to Yosef, don't do as I do, do as I say. I'm asking you to bury me in Maras Machpelah. I didn't do that for your mom. Oh, fascinating. And, I, and I, feel, I, feel, I feel guilty that I didn't do it for your mom. I'm not sure that that was in Yaakov's, Yaakov's um, you know, um, repertoire. I'm, I'm not sure that Yaakov, that Yaakov knew that where he buried Rachel was where Rachel needed to be buried, where he buried Leah was where Leah needed to be buried. And, and he, wasn't, he wasn't apologizing for anything, nor was he worried. I think that he was going to make them swear. So what's he worried about? Even if they, even if they were mad at him, they were ticked off at him that he didn't, he didn't bury their mom in the, you know, Yosef's right. didn't bury his mom. But he's, he's, he, he, a swear is a swear. He doesn't have to worry. So why did he need to admit? It's, it, it also gets in the way of the narrative. What's happening is about to bless his children. What do you need to get into this story for? So... If you look at something, I think, really fascinating in, um, in Sefer Shmos, in Sefer Bracious, is that you see that, um, that look at what Rachel and Leah, look at their lives and look at what they had. Rachel had Yaakov's love. What did she yearn? Yaakov's kids. Leah had Yaakov's kids. What did she yearn? She yearned Yaakov's love. And that comes out in the whole story of the Dudayim. 
that 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 she she's got the you know the the dudayim was some kind of you know symbol of love and symbol of affection, and and the one wanted it from the other and was willing to trade the night with Yaakov. So the the she was willing to to trade the love for the children. The children. But that that wasn't just a conversation between the two of them. There was, because each one of them that night gave up what they have to 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 get what they hoped for. If it was that strong, it could not have been just an emotion that the two of them lived with. And I think that when we see Yosef going to tell over Diba Ra about the way that the children of Leah were dealing with the children of Zilpah and Billah, I think they were re- what Yosef was really confused about and found difficult was that there was a rift between Leah and Rachel manifesting itself in the children. That the reason that there was this difficulty in the children because the children were only playing out what was going on with with the moms. Now the moms weren't beating each other in the street, but there was a tension. And that tension, before they threw Yosef into a pit, that tension existed between the children of um, of, Le- of, of Zilpah and of, and of Rachel. And, and of Leah, excuse me. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's not a direct, um, like, consistent yeah. kind of rift because you have... It was between Rachel and Leah was the tension, and then this tension wasn't re- wasn't really be- the sons of Leah, Rachel. No, they were they, they, they were they, they were having a difficulty with each other before Yosef. That's what Yosef was bringing to his father when he went to his father to tell him Diba Rab at his brothers. And one of the things he said was that they're treating the children of the maidservants in a disparaging kind of way. What's it? What's it about? What were they treating them in a disparaging kind of way? These were wives of of Yaakov. They're treating him in a disparaging way because I think that it was more about and and again I'm I'm you know I'm inventing but I think that it was more about um, Bilha's children and and Leah's and Leah's children than it was about Leah and Zilpah's children. Interesting. And 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 that's and that's what Yosef was was smelling. That's what and when did that when did that end? When the brothers defended a son of Rachel, when that rift was over, when right, that, was, later, that, right. was the, that was the end of the whole story. That, the whole thing came to fruition there. Yo, what Yosef was doing, why he didn't reveal himself. To, and it was only at the end when that, that whole thing, that whole thing came, came to fruition that Yosef now realized that the rift that existed between the brothers, that was history. It was done. And now it was time to bring all that together and that's why he, he revealed himself. With that reconciliation of the brothers, that moment that they were that they were able to get together, so that struggle between Rachel and Leah comes to a close. Now her whole life, Leah was yearning for love, Rachel was learn, yearning for kids, and that's what they got. Rachel is Ima Shalklayaso, it's Mama Rachel. Leah rests for eternity with Yaakov Avinu in Ma'aras Machpela. Ultimately, posthumously, she got the love she was looking for and she got the children that she was looking for. That's why he says to Yosef, V'ani b'vo'i, 
when I came from Padanaram, Mama died, I put her on the road. What he was telling him is, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. And when did he give him this message? When he was about to give a bracha to the children and to put two more children into Kalal Yisrael, two more children of Yosef, of Rachel, Rachel. and he gave Rachel two more kids, and he, he firmly established that he is now going to be taking his place with Leah in Mo'aras Machpelah. And he wasn't, there was no remorse. There was no, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking at saying, I am, I'm sorry I did this. I, you know, please don't, don't, don't do as I, as I do, do as I say. That, that's not what Yaakov was about. Yaakov was finishing Sefer Breshis. And what he was saying was, is that in the future, when the Navi says to Rachel, Mini kolech mibechi. Stop crying. Wipe away your tears. Because v'shavu banim ligvulam, your children are coming back home again. It's all going to be perfect. Because you're Mama Rachel. Rachel in her lifetime, there is no indication that she lived with that this pain overtook her life. One could make the argument that Leah with the with the crying eyes, Leah with with with, with the dudayim, that the, that there was a desire to change her lot. There was a desire for something else, and always felt unfulfilled. I think that the powerful end of Sefer Breshis, from from this viewpoint, is that at the end of the day, we live lives. We have to realize we will never fulfill all of our dreams and desires. We, we hope for things, and at some point we say, that's not going to happen. But so many other things are going to happen. And when we focus on the things that we have, not on the things that we never achieved, then there isn't tears you don't have to be crying, you don't have to worry, because in the end, everything is working out perfectly the way it's meant to. What we have and what we were successful with is what we need to enjoy, and what we don't have, we need to continue to dream about, but to be comfortable with it staying in the realm of a dream. I think. Look at how, I'm sorry. No, go. Just the last point. Look at how Sefer Breshis begins. Adam Arishan in the Garden of Eden. God says to him, you can eat anything you want. Every single piece that's here, you can have. Except that tree. And let's make the story really dramatic. Let's paint the story the way Chazal say it was. One of the opinions of Chazal is, what was that tree? Wheat. So imagine, God comes to Adam and he says to him, you see the peaches? You can have them. You see the persimmons? You can have them. You see the kumquats and the, the oranges and apples, you can have them all. As much as you want, whenever you want them. It's not like they're grown in greenhouses in Cuba. These things are going to be fresh all year round. They're going to be everything you want. The one thing you can't have is a stick of wheat. And other Mauritian goes ballistic. What? You're taking away a stick of wheat from me? The story sounds outrageous. It sounds much better if it was a, a fig, if it was an esrig. No. 
There's what, what was bothering Adam? It wasn't the fact that he couldn't eat wheat. It's the fact that he couldn't. That, that he was focusing on what he did didn't have as opposed to focusing on what all the blessings that he had in front of him. And that's resolved at the end. That's resolved at the end of Sefer Precious. That's awesome. Uh, first of all, I love the part. It's it's beautiful um, understanding of the Psukim. Um, as you were saying it, I was like, seeing these two these two ideas of being happy with what you have and everything works out at the end. But I think the way you tied it together at the end, and I think that's what we you really have to unpack here, is that the the um, antidote for being happy with what you have and not just being this this the sin of Adam of just because you can't you're unhappy, um, which is a little bit like the Haman, the Vachosen and Shavali, right? We exactly. see this over exactly. and over and over in in Torah and Tanakh, and the the antidote to that is realizing that everything's going to work out in the end. And the, the fascinating end is that not even the end of your life, it's the end of after your life, right? Is you can accomplish sometimes. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's an awesome thing to unpack in our own lives, how we live, that when you realize that the bonus is in charge and it's going to work out, then it makes right now a lot more relaxed and a lot more comfortable. What I'm looking at right now, as difficult as some of that may might be, I'm looking at the process of ultimately reaching perfection, which means that my contribution to the ultimate perfection, even in my life, my contribution now in this world is what's going to set the stage for what's going to come on later. I'll tell you two amazing things. On Rosh Hashanah Kippur, we say that, you know, there's a whole conversation with the Malachim and God, that, you know, that we, that we, that why don't we say hallel, um, so the, the, the question, I'm sorry, that, that everybody asks, why don't we say halal on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah? So we say that, that, that the Sefer, Mechaim V'Mesim Pesuchim Lefonai, of the, the living and the dead are open in front of me, it's not an appropriate time to say halal. So a lot of Torah about that, because that's, it's a little, little odd what difference does it make Chaim you know, and Mesim, that, that you shouldn't say halal. And, the, the, and what does it mean that the Sifrei Mesim are open in front of me? So the people that are alive that are going to die, that's the standard way of understanding with the three books that are open in front of me. But I think it's not. I think the Chavetz Chaim says that Sifrei Chaim and Sifrei Mesim means that the living are judged and the dead are judged also. And what are the dead judged on? Isn't it? They haven't done much in, since they left the world. So what are they being judged on? You know, how they're lying in the ground? You know, it's like, like what, what are you how being their judged Matseva on? looks, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's what they're being judged on is, is that when you do something in this world, it doesn't end with your death. It's a it's like throwing a stone into a into water, and there's a ripple effect. And as long as those ripples are still rippling, then you're responsible for that. Litoiv ulara. And therefore the Sifre Mesim, you're being judged every year in Rosh Hashanah based on the original thing that you did and the kind of effects that it's continuing to have. You know, Menasha did chuva. The wicked Menashe, either right. tshuva. Where is that tshuva recorded? Why isn't it recorded in the Navi, where it, where it technically happened? Because Divya Yomim basically was written by Anshik Nesakadayla. It was written 150, 200 years after Menashe and after his tshuva. Because for that whole time, it was still rippling. And therefore, it wasn't the story wasn't over yet. The 
wickedness that Menashe did with his idolatry lasted even beyond the destruction of the temple. After the destruction of the temple, there were people that were saying that had we been firmer with our Avedah Zarah, then the temple never would have been destroyed. The effects of this negative effect, this creeping effect of, of his negativity, the things that he did, when kept going on, when it was done, now his tshuva could be accepted. Now we could talk about the fact that he did tshuva. And that's a, that's a mind-blowing, mamish a mind-blowing idea. That, that we, have to, we have to recognize that what we're doing now and, and what we're accomplishing here is in the, there's an end to this, but that end might be way beyond, way beyond our lives. But that doesn't make it that this is, this is not then disappointing this is the life and the choices and the things that I needed to do in order to be able to get it to where it's going to be in the end. And yeah, that, that ends. So then there's two things there. First of all, uh, Mommy was talking about this week, this fascinating phenomenon she was watching that a few weeks, or maybe month after Rabbi Sachs was, um, was Nifter, um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is that's all, so she then said, now she sees like everybody's become, jumping on the bandwagon. But besides for perhaps the negative aspect, like we spoke about um, two weeks ago, that, you know, it's easier to make someone into a celebrity rabbi and to a celebrity gadol once once they're dead, which is a problem with, with, uh, with us. Right, yeah. or what, what was the? Achrei mois, kedoshim, emor, three passions, one after the other. After, and if you put them, if you take it out of context, after the person dies, Kedashim Emor. So we call them, we, we call them, wow, they were so amazing. So besides that, I told her that, right. and besides the negative, I mean, that's a more cynical look at it, right. but the beautiful look at it is that, look, first of all, with Rabbi Sachs, he, he was recording for many, like many years, this stuff that's been coming out about him that he himself recorded. It's not, you know, things that they, that they, they heard from him and now we're transcribing them like, this Rabbi Victor Miller stuff that we're still transcribing today, which is also beautiful, speaks to the same, the beautiful part of it, but that we can actually still be Nana from his godless and from the things he put into this world after he's not here. And that's a beautiful, like when you can understand that as a person, yeah. that you're going to affect others, even when you're not here, your world opens up and life opens up. You know, in any situation where we appreciate somebody, we seem to appreciate them more after they're dead than when they're alive. The truth is, is that if they hadn't lived the way they lived, A, we might not have appreciated them that way after they died. And that it doesn't mean that we didn't appreciate them while they were alive, but they had much more to teach us. And they couldn't teach us that while they were alive. That had to be a posthumous message. And therefore... Their, their message of where they were alive was setting the stage of what was going to be happening later. And that's, that's what allows a person to, to live comfortably with the things that, they are, that they're doing. Look, there, there's always some guilt that I could have done more, and that's why I didn't accomplish certain things because I was lazy. Okay, that's like a whole other story, and you're going to have to deal with that. But, but talking about things where you made every effort to, to be able to do something, and it just it fell short, and it, wasn't, and it wasn't there. But it wasn't there now, but that doesn't mean whatever you needed to get out of that is not going to be there. Everything you did now was setting the stage for that. Right. And then just to speak to the... The, the whole concept as a whole that 
to put it into a little bit of like a, a box or a nutshell. So then what you're saying is that, and, and just to unpack it, we'll put it in a box, but the idea is that the way someone, a, a way that someone can be misameach bechalko and happy with what he has now is realizing that A, everything's going to work out and B, what you're doing now may have effect much later. And not to be not to be saddened by the fact that, oh, I don't see any payros, anything growing from the seeds I'm planting now, proverbially, but you know, that that what I'm doing now isn't isn't producing anything because it can and it will produce if it's real seeds and it's really doing something, then it has to go through a process and it may be years down the road. To un- yes. there's, a, there's a third thing, which is which is continually focusing on the things that you have accomplished. Okay. Stop worrying about, it's there, it's there, it's real, it's, it's a presence in our lives, the things that we, we dreamed about that we're not, we're not seeing those dreams happen. And the older you get, and the less possible it is to fulfill some of those dreams, so then the more those, the, the bigger those become. But, but, but you can't focus on that. You have to focus on, look at all the things that I have in fact accomplished, and that I've in fact been able to be pile and to be able to set into this world that I can see with my own eyes. And the more that a person is able to focus on that, so then the happier they'll be. Right, and there's a Pasuk that speaks to that. You know, they, they say maybe a little bit of a, like a joke about it, but it's lev chacham liyamin, right? And lev ksil the small. So they, they, I think they say that those who look towards, like if you're opening a Gemara, and you have, a, you have something in front of you and you look towards your right, meaning all the things you've accomplished and all the pages you've accomplished, that's a chacham. But somebody who's just looking at where's the next two dots for those who are in Gemara, or where is the end of the Masechta, or where am I going? So then that that's a little bit of a seal because you have to focus, the chacham focuses on what he does have, and then he can um, he can be happier with that. Right. It's very hard to make it through Shas when you look at it and you say, I'm trying to make it through Shas. I've got right. 2,000 pages to go. But when you look at it, I, I told you I heard this at a seum, where a guy was a, a guy was like so proud of himself, of the amount of pages, and he put it all in terms of I, I've learned the, this amount of pages of Gemara, and put in this amount of time to be able to learn those pages, and he didn't look at it and saying, but I still have so much to go. He didn't say you know, and it seems like almost a, a mountain that I can't really climb and. He was looking at it, look at what I've done. Ten years ago, you would have, you would have said to me, you in ten years are going to learn X amount of pages of Gemara. No way. That's right. not, not going to happen. So it's, it's, focusing, it's focusing on what you've done. Now, you focus too long on what you've done, you become a Balgaiva. Correct. <laughs> We're not talking about that. But you have, to, you have to appreciate. You have to appreciate the brachas that a Kodesh Baruch has given you in this world. You have to be able to appreciate them. And not, not look at what is chaser, but you have to look at what we have. So the the middle idea I just want to um, talk to in it for a second that um, being happy with what you have happiness and and content is obviously you know the number one trigger topic and it's an important topic to discuss whether you're in Torah whether you're in business whether you're you're meaning whether your focus is coming from any of these places how am I happy with my accomplishments the accomplishments can be anything um, your family your business your work your hobbies your Torah, all that is, how can I be happy with that? Um, and when you realize, so it, the, the formula that we're giving here is, is actually very, it's difficult, but 
could it potentially be the answer or just a, a, a way to deal with it that if you re- I, I'm I'm leaning towards the answer that if you realize that life is so much bigger than you and time is greater than your 120 years you're going to spend on this earth and that things you do now may affect others in 200 years so um, then you'll be more content with what you're doing now because you're planting. It's a different type of um, work that you're doing. I think that's very hard to do. You know, easy said, hard to do. And but I but I I want to I, I want to say that maybe that's the answer. And and that's why we don't hear about it when you hear your uh, motivational speeches and things, uh, whether Torah or not. But you you don't hear you're gonna die, and you're gonna turn into worms. Don't worry so much about your accomplishments and getting reaping the covet from your accomplishments here. Worry about really changing the world and really doing that. And you don't hear that in, in motivational speeches because it's not motivational. It's hard. But it could be that sometimes the hardest things are the are the answers. You know what the real answer is? Around the Shabbos table. The more you talk about it. The more you 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 talk, not not just you know droning over the same conversation, but the more you hit it from from different angles of focusing on what you have, focusing on the now, focusing on what you're engaged in, not what you're not engaged in, but what you haven't done, not what you don't have. The more you can you can dissect that or unpack it, as you say. So then, the more it becomes a reality in your life. You can't you can't hear one sheer about it. You can't hear one good schmooze about it, or have one good conversation about it. It's got to be around the Shabbos table. You got to hit it from every angle that you can hit it from, in order because it's it's a huge thing. Our tendency, our natural tendency, is to see the bleak, is to see the negative, is to see what we don't have. That's a natural tendency, and that we have to we have to break away from the natural tendency. That requires a tremendous amount of strength. And strength comes from listening to ideas. Because I have a certain approach to it. I use certain words. I use certain ideas to approach that. But you use different words and, and different mishalim and different... And, and as we talk about it, so then something is going to open me up. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, not just you and I, but I'm saying the, the more that you talk about this issue from all of its places in the Torah, from all of its places in Tanakh, you, you unpack it and it has a, 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 a very a very long-lasting effect on a person. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening again. And, nope. okay, thank you for listening again to Around the Shabbos Table. And we hope that, you know, you can take this conversation, like we're saying, just take the conversation to your table, to your family, um, and have it. Just as a review, we talked about being happy with what you have. And, and, and my father, the father, uh, sourced it in the end, the culmination of Safer Bracious, and he tied the beginning of Bracious to the end of Bracious as this message of don't focus on what you can't have, focus on what you do have, and everything's going to work out in the end. And these are really important messages that we hope to bring to you, and we can unpack them more if uh, if that's what you want. And talking about feedback, keep it coming, man. Uh, it always helps us. It helps us refine what we're doing and do it better. So... Uh, we hope that you have a great Shabbos. As always, enjoy your reheated chalent and um, rock on. 